0: Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law Podcast Series. I'm Dylan Kennett. I'm a venture capital lawyer here at DLA Piper. Today, we welcome Stefan Katoyu, co-founder of VitaMojo and newest anointed winner of the Deloitte Fast 50 Rising Star Awards. And we'll be discussing VitaMojo and the tech industry in general. Welcome, Stefan. Uh, thanks for joining us, co-founder of VitaMojo. I guess we can just dive right in. Uh, for our listeners who haven't come across VitaMojo before, can you give them an idea of what the business is? Uh, if they walk into one of your restaurants, what does it look like? What's the whole uh, end user feel for, for VitaMojo?
1: We're a technology company but we also have three restaurants that we built in the process of building our software. So the best way to explain this is essentially think that you're going to your grandma's place for a Christmas dinner with the rest of your family. Your grandma worked the entire weekend to make a wonderful spread of all your favorite childhood favorite food. And then lunchtime or dinner time comes and everyone starts serving themselves. and what you put on your plate is very specific to your what you're interested in, in terms of health or nutrition, if you care about that. So you will probably not eat the fatty part of the of the meat. But also, you would probably take into account what what you like to eat in general? You like a lot of veg. You like a lot of salads, or you just want to go for that roast. Essentially, what Vida Mojo is doing through the software, we're trying to recreate that experience in a restaurant. In food retail, it's actually very difficult to give that much control of what you, what people can can eat. So, with our software, the software we're building, and what we're trying to do with our restaurants is to push that boundary to the maximum and give people as much control and as much freedom to eat as they see fit. And then
0: so if I walk into a store, what's what's the experience look like?
1: The way we've done this at this point in time, this iteration is we have, you can either use a phone to download our app or you can walk to a kiosk in a restaurant and you will see just a digital menu where You can either select some some preset meals or you can build your own meal but without restrictions. So you can choose from any number of proteins or sides or salads or different sauces. You can combine them in any way you want and you can also choose the quantities that you want. The valuable thing is that you actually can have the transparency of everything that goes into your meal. So you you see the ingredients that, that you're eating that are associated with each dish. But you also can see live nutritional information as it's changing. You can see the prices as you're adding and taking things out. So it really allows you to eat based on whatever limitations or aspirations you have. Obviously, after you, after you place an order and pay at the kiosk like you would in and in any grocery store with a self-checkout, your food is ready for you in anywhere between one and five minutes, depending on how busy the kitchen is. But it's pretty quick and you can get a fully personalized
0: meal. I know I've been using them for a couple of years now, and it's a pretty efficient and quick process. And I, I think you're kind of taken aback from the experience when you first walk in and you just see iPads right at the front and everybody's mostly digital natives using the iPads immediately and the foods with you uh, and a healthy meal. So it's not typical fast food. It's very good, healthy, nutritional food. So I, I think you've really nailed that on the head. Can you give us an idea on how did did Vita Mojo start?
1: I think us as a company, we sort of, we were at the right time in the right place. We have just a pretty much startup kind of story. It all started with spreadsheets and shopping at Waitrose and cooking in the kitchen. And my co-founder, Nick, delivering off things off a moped in, in, in the city of London. He was actually driving around London he was, delivering
0: things himself.
1: Yes, with or without a helmet, but <laughs> uh, yeah. So we had a lot of, uh, of those like really uh, interesting interesting days. moments, initial yeah. early days, yeah.
0: And, and what was the genesis of the idea behind Vita Mojo? What was the
1: pain point that you, you both were trying to solve? We sort of met halfway. So me and Nick were going way back. Uh, we met in high school. And we weren't necessarily close friends, but we grew up together, by and large, with the same friends. <clears throat> um, and we parted ways for about ten years, and then um, we met again when we both ended up in London. Nick had a lot of health problems, and but he was also working in finance, so eating Which out can is, create a lot of them. <laughs> exactly, it's it's nature or nurture, you know? yeah. Um, but you know, hard working in finance, eating out is part of your. Day job, mm-hmm. um, and essentially, he wanted to make a change, and he couldn't eat anywhere, so he was like, Oh, I really need to build a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Me, on the other hand, I was coming from a different background slightly because I lived and worked in Romania for a while, and I just had a very different idea about what I want to do with my life. Opening a restaurant was not one of the things, <laughs> um, I just wanted to be to build technology. Especially um, when you
0: see all the stats about how, how often restaurants fail and how difficult a business it is to, to operate, which I'm sure you
1: guys have seen a lot of. Exactly, so restaurants seem like a terrible idea, especially Nick's, Nick's idea on, oh, we should make a gluten-free restaurant. And I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but by, by talking to each other and trying to dig deeper, we essentially, we, we figured out that actually using technology to help restaurants Come to the 21st century was what we both were really passionate about and what we really wanted
0: and then what was your background when you what brought you to london how did you end up moving here
1: i've done a lot of entrepreneurship related work it all started in college because it, it was a liberal arts college in the u.s where entrepreneurship was was seen as not necessarily about making money not necessarily about finance but it was just innovation about leadership about Um, community and just in general about support Mm -hmm. so I had this very wide-ranging view of what entrepreneurship is and I, I knew I always wanted to do that so I kept iterating and trying different jobs to to figure out what 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 it was so coming to London actually was a great opportunity for me to actually start applying technology which I was interested in I was very interested in in food and we put together Nick's problems and my problems and merge them we, together. We merge them together. And here we are. And
0: uh, so you set up VitaMojo, I, I guess, a few years ago now. And, and what were some of the early teething problems you had as a, as a young business? Was it getting capital into the business or something else, hiring people, getting people on board? Uh, what, what did you find difficult?
1: I think one of the earliest problems was figuring out how to execute our idea. We had this grand idea that food should be personal, and it was very difficult to unpack it into what do we do first, how do we test this? So initially we wanted to just build software, but then we quickly realized that there was no restaurant willing to take that software. Mm -hmm. And then we are like, that's fine, we're just gonna build a restaurant and we're just gonna take a different software and try to bastardize it to, to do super personal food. And we looked around and we couldn't find any other software that could do even remotely what we were trying to do we realized that in order to give users or restaurant goers control over their food, we had to sort of completely reimagine how the restaurant operation works and rebuild it from the ground up around the customer.
0: So I guess since you've been through the the trajectory before, as a lot of our listeners are, are early stage high growth companies, what would you tell them or give them as advice as to get through that initial startup period into the scale up phase?
1: It might sound a little trivial, but I think the most important lesson for us was to iterate. I can't emphasize enough how, actual, how difficult it is to do it in practice because you read about it and you, you go into that mindset, but the devil is in the details, the devil is in the execution. Good ideas are a dime a dozen. It's the execution that's really important. It's important to have to know your truth, to know your, your secret, to know what you think you're, you you figured out that nobody else has. But the important thing is to put it in front of people, and validate it as soon as possible. And when the validation is not there, you have to move on. Don't get married to your idea and just keep trying until until you get to to something that that people are actually willing to pay money for. And
0: what was one example of that type of <laughs> fail quickly move on to the
1: and reiterate well a lot of the food that we were making initially and the our our initial concept of the customer experience was just not fit for what people were prepared to do so we thought that people were just gonna be so excited to, to put in their goals and their biodata height weight so we would recommend the perfect meal for them it turned out that People were not prepared for that. People wanted control. They wanted to make their own meal, but they weren't really that, maybe not necessarily that knowledgeable about or that trusting to give us their data Mm -hmm. and for us to recommend something for them.
0: And then how quickly did it take you to take from, okay, this isn't working necessarily and people aren't giving us this information to shift to
1: here's what the people want. It it took about a week for us to see that um, that was not working. We spent probably at least, Two or three months agonizing about how to make this perfect thing um, how to suggest what are we suggesting calculate nutrition all that stuff and we put it in front of people and it was just like pulling teeth it didn't work so we took that bit out we only allowed people to just make their own build their own meals and all of a sudden it just it just worked it clicked and yeah, it worked for everyone.
0: So I guess one of the, the biggest issues an early stage company faces is getting money in the door to actually do what you want to do. Were you necessarily given the time of day from your early investors, or did you have a great group of
1: angels who are already on board? How did that journey work out? In a way, we were quite fortunate because we had quite supportive early investors. They were quite bullish about the idea, and they gave they also trusted us and gave us the space to experiment, even when their idea was not matching with what the, our, our customers were, were enjoying. I think the most important thing about early investors is to look at them as partners. And while seed money is good and it's very tempting to take it when it's on the table, it's important to have a good working relationship and cultivate that relationship because it's incredibly likely that you will need those early investors to bail you out at least once or twice by the time you can move on.
0: We, we see that a lot on our side as well, too. So that's non an uncommon story. So then moving on, you guys had one of the most successful crowd funds in UK history. Um, do you want to just give us a bit of background on that and what that experience was like?
1: Yeah, I don't think we fully knew what we were getting ourselves into when we decided to crowdfund. We just went in hoping for the best. But what we realized very quickly is that it's an incredible amount of work. Uh, but if you put the work in, it pays off in the end. It's mostly the pre-work that you have to do that, that's actually that's the, mo- the most effort. Once you launch the campaign, it's, it's just maintaining and it, you just reap the benefits of all the hard work before. It was incredibly humbling to see how many people were actually interested. So just asking questions, just being quite excited about the idea and just wanting to find out more. We have over a thousand people that put in an amount between 10 pounds and several tens of thousands of pounds. So that was that was quite amazing. And I think the best outcome for us was that we ended up with a very large number of people that are actually interested to help us, to weigh in, to help us with strategic decisions or to just advocate um, the brand. Advocate the brand, but also just just to weigh in and then drop us a line to to tell us, oh, I just met this person. They are doing something that might be of interest to you guys. Why don't you try to meet them? It's just incredibly valuable to have that community of investors there.
0: Yeah, we, we really champion crowdfunding because not only is it a good way to raise capital at the early stage, but you do have valued customers and people who are championing your brand in the street because they do feel they do have a true vested interest in the company, which they do. Um, so it's, it's a fantastic way to raise, raise capital for sure. So that's all from us. Do tune in to our second episode with Stefan Kotoyu from Vita Mojo. We'll explore some further questions because it was a very enlightening podcast. Please subscribe to our further podcast from DLA Piper as we explore the influence of emerging technologies in business and wider society. There are a number of topics. We range from blockchain to the future of fintech, and they can all be accessed through your various podcast platforms.